Welcome to a special edition of the BioCentury This Week podcast. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and today we're turning our focus to Europe, in particular, the Italian biopharma ecosystem, on the eve of BioCentury's 22nd BioEquity Europe conference, which will be held next week in Milan. Joining me today, we have Corrado Ponseri, partner and head of the Innovation and Technology Hub of the European House Ambrosetti. And joining us once again this year, Graziano Segetzi, managing partner of Sofanova Partners. Sofanova Partners is the founding sponsor of BioEquity, and Sofanova and Ambrosetti co chair the regional host committee for the conference. Also joining me are three of my BioCentury colleagues, co-founder and chairman Karen Bernstein, co-founder and CEO David Flores, and vice president and editor-in-chief Simone Fishburne. Let's get started. Karen, you've been holding this conference for over two decades. Tell us briefly how you've seen the European ecosystem change over that time. Well, first of all, don't remind me how old I am. When we started in 2000, there were, I think there were three really big differences in the European biopharmaceutical scene from today. One was the size of the industry, second was the lack of capital, and the third was risk-averse business models being the norm rather than the exception. So when we started with EBD and Sofinova in 2000 in Munich, the industry was very different than it was today. You could almost fit it into a single room. And I think the big question was how to raise capital for the explosion of biotechs that followed Bioregio in Germany, and then a competing national program in both the UK and France. And that was the entire purpose that we started BEE for, was how to figure out how all these companies were going to have access to capital. That's still a pain point, but I think the question's largely been answered. There's more capital today in Europe than there was. There's capital in the United States, and there's a growing amount of partnering capital from Asia, which is quite, quite new. I think the other big difference was those risk-averse business models, with some important exceptions. But in general, a lot of business models, it was like small service businesses and things like that. Today, genomics, genetics, and new modalities are really the hotspots in Europe. What we need to work on, I think, is translational follow-through and, and getting these to grow into big companies. Dave, tell us about the theme of this year's conference. That's actually a fairly long story, which I'll try to condense, and I'll tell you why it's a fairly long story. As you know, we always try to have the program be driven by current events and to be urgent. And when we started this, the very first meeting of the host committee, which Ambrosetti's team compiled, Eric Pierce by a century and Josh Berlin by a century and Pam Putz of, of EBD and I flew to Milan and we were greeted there and the entire industry was there. They fed us very well, beyond very well. Thank you, Corrado. But it was like, all the academic institutions, we had the hospitals, we had venture capitalists, we had people from industry, from big companies and small companies. And it was very clear when we did this in January, at the end of January in 2020, that we really had the basis for having a discussion about what it takes to create 
an ecosystem around, in this case, Milan and Lombardi's huge scientific base. But as you know, the last week of January 2020 was exactly the week that COVID arrived in Milan. So we know what happened and it was a tragedy, but then we had to try to stay current. Well, we couldn't have a meeting in 2020, so that meeting went away. We went digital in 2021, so we couldn't do the meeting in Milan. And so by the time we got to the end of 2021, things had changed. So to stay current, we started looking, we were, we were really becoming very aware globally of this huge talent crunch that was being created by the formation of many, many, many companies. And the talent crunch is always an issue, but it was made, been made worse over the past decade by the amount of money funding many, many more companies and getting managers, getting CMOs, you know, all those people, like everyone had a problem. So we were thinking this was a global issue that needed to be discussed in the European context. Well, so that is a, the fall of 2021, when we get into January of 2022, where are we back to the original topic we started 22 years ago, which is the capital crunch, because that was becoming incredibly apparent that the capital crunch was going to occurring. It was occurring very quickly. But again, this has happened before many times over the history of bioequity, but this time was different because there's a whole generation of CEOs and investors who've never been through a capital crunch. They're raising more money than they've ever raised before. So we thought now we have two headwinds to address, and that's how we've ended up with, with what we have now. Navigating the talent and capital headwinds became the theme for this year's meeting. I know we're very eager to have this event be in person, our first in-person event in three years now. So I know a certain biotech CEO is out walking his dog, listening to this right now, along with an NIH scientist, among our many other regular listeners. And I want to turn to Graziano and ask, what do these listeners who are among the researchers, scientists, executives running biotech companies around the globe, what do they need to know about the ecosystem in Italy right now? Well, Jeff, thanks for the question. And uh, I think the world itself is what they have to listen to. Both you, Karen, and Dave came up with ecosystem. And Dave also came up a little bit with the story that brought us to Milan 2022. The story actually started in 2017, Paris, bioequity in Paris. When I ask the question, should we have a bioequity in Milan? 2017, let me give you a couple of numbers to position the ecosystem. 2017, biotech in Italy raised 11 millions in two transactions. Today doesn't even qualify as a seed investment for most of our colleagues in the, in the industry. If you fast forward to 2021, the industry raised 110 millions. In the first quarter of 2022, in a big financial cash crunch, as Dave said, the industry raised almost 50 million. And this is because you actually do have an ecosystem now. Is it as big as other countries? No, but it is a complete ecosystem. And that allows the industry now to start growing and generating new ideas and financing new ideas. And that's what I believe everybody that is listening to the podcast, no, no matter where they are based, they should pay attention because it is a new emerging country in the, in the biotech arena and is an emerging ecosystem that is now finally ready to ignite 
And I think that we're going to see this very clearly in the next five years. And that's why I believe the bioequity in Milan 2022 is very timely, potentially even more timely than what we had anticipated before. Excellent. Corrado, I'd like to turn to you and, and learn a little bit about how your innovation hub fits into this broader ecosystem that Graziano just spoke to. Oh, well, as uh, uh, the first private think tank in Italy, the European House and Rosetti established this uh, life sciences community in 2015. The, our reason why is that we want to contribute to increase the life sciences ecosystem, both in research and innovation side, and also in manufacturing. So uh, we established this strong network of partners that is working with us in this life sciences community. And the interesting thing is that the partners come from uh, academia research, as well as from uh, the uh, manufacturing, as well as from uh, um, the public institution in finance. We work together because we want to identify the challenges and the opportunities for the research and innovation ecosystem in life sciences in Italy. And we want to uh, strengthen the position of uh, the Italian ecosystem in life sciences uh, in Europe and also globally. And we also know that uh, one uh, key aspect in doing that uh, is uh, to match uh, the research uh, and, the, the, and the VCs uh, through the tech transfer. And, and that's why uh, that uh, our managing partner and CEO, Valerio De Molli, was more than uh, happy in uh, 2020, as Dave mentioned before, to candidate the city of Milan to host uh, the uh, BioEquity Europe. At that time, it was uh, the 2021 edition, but now we are at uh, the 2022, and uh, we are, here we are. Excellent. Well, Simone, uh, you're launching the conference next week with the Scene Setter, which I know taps into one of the themes that Dave spoke to. Can you tell us a bit about that? You know, it actually taps into both of the themes, uh, Jeff, and I got to tell you, I'm going to be the the bad one on this part. I'm going to give the bad news. So you've all had these great things about Italy and Europe and how this conference has grown. But, you know, going back to what Karen said when there were just very few companies Europe and biotech at large, but Europe itself is almost a victim of its own success. It's got these large number of new companies. There's really been a lot of company growth. They've really, I believe, made a fundamental change in their ability to translate science, to pick up good science and create new companies. We see that in the large number of companies that are created. But if you don't have people to run those companies, you're never going to be able to create the therapeutics that need to come out of them or to scale the companies. And that is true globally, as Dave referred to, there's a global talent crunch. So the survey is is really sort of asking what people believe are the pressure points and trying to tap into what's going on in in Europe specifically. And and I'm not going to reveal all of the results of the survey. I'll give you a, a couple of highlights and then maybe throw something out so that Graps can tell me, no, I'm all wrong and it's really great. But, um, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the constraints is that there's a lot more money, but, you know, people still have this perception that European companies are less well-funded. And what they talk in particular about is 
It's way harder to recruit talent than to retain talent. That, that's the problem. And so what are the issues? And one of them boils down, in my mind, to networks. And we get this both from write-in responses and from some of the questions that we've asked, which is Europe really doesn't have the same kind of management networks and executive networks that it needs. And that's what people really rely on for hiring. I also, there's a few insights into what makes a good CEO, and I don't know if I should go into it in this call, but I'll give you a little, a little preview. Uh, one person wrote, don't be a sociopath and a liar. And so I think that you take that, that was a write-in response that we got. But no, seriously, um, we, we got some sort of insights. And actually, there's a lot of unity on what people want to see in their CEO qualities. One more thing I'll say, a little disappointing for me, uh, gender diversity, racial diversity, not a big priority. Jeff, I'm going to ask you about this. I do think that this is a global problem, but there's certainly some European themes that actually aren't new. We've been hearing for a long time that European companies either are less well-funded or they're perceived as less well-funded. And the overall concern, or widely held concern, is salary escalation. People want more bigger salaries. And there is a concern that compensation will be a problem. So having told you all of this, Brett, which is sort of a slice of it, maybe I can just sort of point to you as a VC and say, how are you navigating this? How are you digesting this kind of landscape as it is right now? Well, thank you for the question. I think I'm a sociopath and a liar since I'm not a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, listen, certainly you can always, you can always complain. Uh, that is for sure. And, and, and as Europeans, and particularly in some nations, we're very, very good at that. We have never had so much money to finance our companies. The reality is that. Are we still on a different scale than the US? Yes, we are. Does it mean that we don't have enough capital to capitalize our companies and go forward? I'm not completely convinced about that. We also have different segments of our industry. And clearly what we need to pay attention to from a financeability perspective is our growth sector, where indeed, if you look at the number of companies that are in a late stage clinical development and the money available, we have a little bit of a cash crunch we need to focus on not just a little bit, we need to focus on that for sure. If you look at our series A's and series B's, I would argue that we've never been stronger and that we can capitalize our companies in that build-up phase quite effectively. Mm -hmm. And we also have more company creations activities. So really, if you want to look at the problem, you have to look at the growth and address the problem. I think that there are a number of themes that are coming through that are important for our industry and the changes of our industry that maybe is not the right place to get into today. On the talent crunch is a big issue in Europe. I think for us, I'm not sure I understood what you said, but for us in Europe, it's more difficult to recruit than retain. I think we have a slightly different issues that in the States, I have the luxury to invest on both sides. And in the US, it's difficult to recruit, but it's more difficult to retain. In Europe, once you have recruited, people tend to stick to the companies for a little longer. And then there is the big differential of the different countries and the different region. And talking about Italy, for example, since we're going to be in Milan, it is one of the most difficult regions where you have to recruit talent because there is very limited pool to fish from. And then it's also a little bit more complicated to attract the right people because you don't have an ecosystem of the 
size that you want yet. But those are all I things. I didn't want to tell you. I didn't want to tell you that, but that was one of the countries that they said was bad. It is. It is a challenge. Look at some of our companies, or look at some of our colleagues' companies. Once you start bringing in the investors, our networks, our capacity to attract talent from our portfolios and from our and large networks, you can see that you have international teams that are coming together. It's going to take a little bit of time. More, it's a bit more difficult. In, I cannot hide that it's a bit more difficult in Italy than it is in the UK. But eventually, we'll get there. Although I, I, I will just jump in with something, and then I want to ask Corrado a question, which is actually in the UK, some people said it was especially hard, and some people said it was especially easy. So like you say, you can't please everybody. But, but Corrado, maybe you can talk a little bit about networks and what the opportunities might be to create networks among executives, among investors, and so on, because it really seems that that's going to be a bottleneck. Yeah, I mean... I believe that uh, uh, it is a, a, a key point. As on Prosetti, we work exactly in creating uh, networks of uh, executives. And uh, we uh, saw in the, in, the, in the last year a growing interest about executive also in life sciences, particularly in the established the pharmaceutical and the, in the bigger uh, biotech companies. But now there is also uh, an increasing interest in building networks among uh, specialists in some uh, very relevant activities, for example, in technology transfer. And uh, we know that technology transfer officer in Italy is one of our pain points uh, because uh, if we want to increase uh, the performance of the country in life sciences doing uh, a, a good research we need to transfer this kind of research to the market and one help is coming uh, thanks to the, the financial system which is increasing but for sure the other point is to increase the ability to provide talented people and talented people uh, can come easily if uh, we have a stronger network of uh, executive or uh, community of practices. So let me go back to our original dinner in January of 2020 and the subsequent trip I made back after that. Corrado, I, I think the one thing that you talk about networking, but one, one of the things is networking is part of something that, that I think more of is visibility. And what you guys have done, the, you know, the road to bioequity and whatnot, we all realize that bioequity can help Milan and the ecosystem there become more visible. And the one thing that's very apparent to me on the two trips that I've made in terms of for working on planning on this is that there's huge, huge talent doing not only basic science, but translational science, moving into translation. There are places like at San Raffaele and whatnot, but the visibility of it is not as apparent. You know, so if you walk through the halls of the incubators, Zambone has one, but I go back to the San Raffaele gene therapy and, and the number of companies that they've got in that entire wing of that hospital that they're incubating. We need to find ways of making all that visible. It's the networking is part of it, but part of it's always being seen in whatever venue you can be seen in. Because then people can't help but be impressed by what's going on. That's just probably too many people are unaware of it. That's what, you know, we all agreed bioequity is supposed to help. 
I want to go back to the capital question for a second and give a preview or a taste of what I think will be a big question and issue at the, the conference. One of the things we're seeing in the U.S. now, and I'm sure we're seeing it in Europe as well, is companies that are private that want to transition. And right now we know the IPO markets are pretty much closed. And that's an externality that we as an industry have no control over. So I think one of the issues that we're all going to have to think of, and VCs in particular, is how to support our companies so that they have enough money to survive for when the markets do open and signal to the markets that they're supporting those companies. I know it's a huge issue in the U.S. right now. Excellent. Well, I'm uh, very much looking forward to the conference next week. We will have two sessions of the BioCentury This Week podcast with some special guests. And I'd just like to remind folks that BioEquity Europe is sold out for in-person attendance, but you can still register for a digital access pass. And that will allow you to schedule virtual one-on-one meetings with BioCentury delegates and watch all session and presentation recordings for up to 30 days after the event. And digital attendees also receive BioCentury's second annual scene setter report, which Simone was referring to, McKinsey's BioEquity Europe conference report, as well as complimentary access to BioCentury's BCIQ database. Graziano and Corrado, I'd like to thank you and your organizations for all you've done to make this conference possible. For those listening, if you'll be there in person, definitely reach out and say hello to the BioCentury team. We're uh, very grateful for your support. And do tune in to our podcast next week. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcast. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education. One such cause is STEM for Girls. Check out their symphony for science, May 23. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.